Hi, Mage fans. This is your host, Terry Robinson, with Mage the Podcast, providing a bonus episode made possible by our executive producers. This is a one-shot I ran online in September. The group largely had only D20 experience prior to this, and they were interested in trying a World of Darkness game, specifically the Big Purple. My goal is to show that it's entirely possible to take a group of new players and give them something like a mage experience in a single evening session. We played for about three hours, but once I cut out the break, side conversations and such, it came out to about 90 minutes. Normally when I run this scenario, it takes about four and a half hours, which would probably edit down to about three hours of total playtime. I require no familiarity with the rules ahead of time, except that I ask the players to look over the Sphere Effects reference chart, which is something that Mark Hope created and has provided to the Mage the Ascension Facebook group. I will include a link in the show notes, as well as asking the players to pick a character template. The characters were all tradition agnostic and generally had nine dots in spheres and four or five dots in a retay. As to me, power makes up for familiarity with the system. I also tend to be pretty generous with adjudicating effects as my goal is to have the players use their powers enough that they understand how the system works and hopefully have the opportunity to come up with some sort of interesting improvised effect by the end of the evening, which to me is part of the fun and terror of the sphere system. I know I goofed on a rule or two and I didn't want to stop the game to check anything. You'll also get a peek into my GM style when dealing with new players, which involves a lot of clarifying questions and asking for descriptions of something I presume the characters are doing. I tend to try and have clarifying moments of role-playing occur throughout asking players what they think of what their character would likely think another character is doing, as well as information about how they're dressed in the world around them. I really think it is important to build a strong visual style when playing a game of Mage. Generally, I want the players to help me build the world, and I also want to be able to help guide the characters based on what a reasonably informed in-world Mage would know. As I mentioned, this is part of my generic one-shot, which I often run at conventions, which I hope to write it up eventually, but I have a few other projects queued up first. I failed to record the conversation at the end of the group's thoughts, which ultimately were actually pretty illuminating on what they thought was easy and what they thought was hard. A lot of it was a discussion on what you need to do to change your mindset when you're used to a D20 game like Dungeons & Dragons or Pathfinder for something that is closer to what the storyteller system is kind of asking for. Thank you to the group for letting me record, and thank you to our executive producers for making this possible. If you'd like to become one, please go to patreon.com slash podcast. If you don't have the scratch to do that, that's totally fine. You can always help the show by telling a friend about it or using our drive through RPG affiliate link when making a purchase on drive through RPG. Also a note for content warnings, this episode does include some violence, a depiction of a weird umbral creature, as well as references to but not depiction of animal sacrifice. It's only something that comes up in discussion once when comparing the morality of what the group did. And with that, on with the show. So, welcome to the world of Mage the Ascension. It is a World of Darkness game that, rather than being, to me at least, a game of modern horror, it is a game of urban fantasy. In this game, you play what are known as mages. You're super special, and by thinking real hard about things, you're able to change the world. You have what is known as an avatar, which is the portion of a person that, once properly poked and prodded, has the ability to change the world around them. The key contrivance in magic in the Mage the Ascension setting is all magic works. If you want to heal someone by using micro-robot nanites, if you want to use intercessionary prayer, if you have a magical poultice, if you want to call on the healing powers of Venus, all of these can work. Not necessarily for the same person, but all magic is real. 
The restriction on this is twofold. One, you have a personal level of understanding, which is represented by your arete. That is the power stat. That is the thing that's like, this is how much magic force I can magic. It is always rolled by itself. It's not like you would roll arete plus strength or stamina or dexterity or something like that, as well as your dots and spheres. Uh, there should have been a sphere quick reference that was sent out. I've tried to populate the character sheets with a bunch of standard rotes. This is a fancy word for a thing your character has probably done before, which is on the second page of the character sheet. And by taking a sphere level and describing how your character is doing something, you can generate a magical effect out the other end. Whenever you want to do a magical effect, tell me, and we'll work our way through it. Generally, the magical effect consists of kind of three parts. One is, hey, Terry, my character wants to have this happen. And we go, do you have the dots? And if the answer is yes, we try and figure out a in-game way where it would happen. So for instance, uh, say whoever is playing the Agent of the Fates, uh, one of their focuses is chanting or singing. If their goal is to detect whether or not someone is lying, to use their focus to determine if someone is lying, they may start singing a children's rhyme while talking to this person under their breath. Um, and as they're doing so, they build up this rhythm. And whenever the person lies, the rhythm of the children's song is broken. So we have the two parts that we need to start off. We have, do you have the right dots? Yes. Do you have a focus that will work? And then we get to roll some dice and we see what happens. In general, in this system, you just need one success to make something happen. It'll be a minimal success, but it'll be a success nonetheless. The way we determine what number you need on the die is generally a combination of what the highest dot level of the effect is, plus the degree to which what you're doing is obviously magic. In this game, there's kind of three levels to that. One is coincidental. If somebody saw you doing this, they would be like, seems like a thing a guy could do. The next level is if someone saw you doing that, you'd be like, that's some bullshit. But luckily there's no one around. And then the third level is that's some bullshit and there's someone around. And that's conveniently known as coincidental, vulgar without witnesses and vulgar with witnesses. And they each have a difficulty tied to them. And that's kind of the process for magic. If you want to do an effect with someone else, if you're like, hey, I want to get in on this, John, you can do that. You just need a paradigmatic way to make it happen. You can't combine spheres across people. So if you want to use uh, Forces 3 to make a big fire and the other person has Correspondence 3 and they want the big fire over there, you can't like Wonder Twins high five and cause the fire to go up over there. As mages, at the end of the day, you are people. You are comparatively squishy. So vampires, you can hit them with a truck and they're like, I'm fine, I can take it, I got fortitude. I don't know how a vampire works. I, I don't know if that's a thing. But uh, yes, <laughs> I, I, more or less, mages are squishy. There are a few systems I, I likely won't use. For instance, initiative. In my experience in mage games, one person always kind of gets the drop on the other person. It's very rare that two people are like across a quad and they're like, I hate you. And the other person's like, I hate you too. And then guns are drawn. Almost invariably, someone is like, I'm going to begin this encounter by bringing down overwhelming force on the other person because I am squishy. And if they don't die immediately, I could get hurt. And I think that's a perfectly legitimate doing things. The game is set in contemporary Philadelphia. The Philadelphia part isn't hugely important. It just happens to be the city I know, what for I live in Philadelphia. The time is roughly now. The advantage is there's no COVID. 
Additionally, this is a world of darkness, more or less, with no homophobia, no child abuse, and all animals are well taken care of. So the question is, Terry, in what way is this dark? To which I say, there are ghosts everywhere. And that's more or less how I try and balance that out, because you're like, is that actually, that doesn't seem very dark. So the next thing we're going to do is fill out lines and veils. Is that something this group is familiar with? Sure. Yeah, so let's do it together. So the way this works is there are two types of restriction. I am reasonably collaborative in my storytelling. It saves me having to come up with everything. So periodically, I will hand the narrative football over to someone and I'll say, Mordash, you're reaching out to one of your contacts, has information about organized crime. What's the name of your contact and how do you know them? And that's now kind of on you. If you don't have an idea, we team build it. Again, it's a one shot. If this results in the entire city being on fire, I don't know about you, sounds like mage. Um... But one of the things we need to keep in mind with that is lines are material that you do not want to have come up in game at all. We don't want them to be there and we don't want references to them. So if you say child abuse, uh, we, we, will, we will avoid even alluding to that. A veil is material that can be referenced or alluded to, but it's never going to be central focus. So at the end of the long story, you and your partner are back at home and you are glad to uh, be in each other's amorous embrace. And that's where, if that is a veil for someone, and then we go and scene or like fade to black as the bedroom door closes, where it is simply something alluded to. Or alternatively, if you're like me and you're like, you know, what's not great torture. That is something where I don't want to see it come front and forward. But if you're like, I'm going to beat up this guy, I'm like, okay, I want absolutely no description on how that is going to happen. We are going to cut to the other side of this where the person you're in torturing is just a little bit beaten up or bruised, or like maybe there's a tooth missing or something like that. Uh, it certainly happened. We're recognizing that it happened, but we're not staring directly at it. And that's a veil. I'm going to pass out a link in chat to a Google Doc. Hopefully this will work. And just take a minute to add a line and veil. You don't need to attach your name to it. The point is these are just things that we all know. So let me drop that in Mage General. If you want to roll dice in front of you, that's entirely fine. I'm generally of the opinion that if you want to cheat during a one shot, that's between you and your God. To listeners at home, we are filling in a list of things we don't like. I've run this scenario around 20 times and it's a team effort and we all get through it and there's a sense of accomplishment at the end and sometimes you sink a boat. I think Mage is a big fun game and my job is to show people that Mage is a big fun game or at least that, that's my personal goal. It's more about kicking the tires on the system than it is building a dense personal plot mostly because that's like not where my skills lie. I will leave that to other storytellers. I think one of my favorite was when you run games online, you have a reasonable chance of having like international players participating. And there was someone with a thick Eastern European accent of some sort who was the modern witch. And I'm like, where does your character live? It's like, she's she's one she's school. We're like, near a school? He's like, yeah. Why do you live near a school? And he's like, food. We're like, for food? And he's like, yeah. We're like, okay, that went in a direction. Um, so... Yeah, <laughs> you're like noted. We team built our way through it. <laughs> like, did anyone catch what he said? It's like, it's like I think Dimitri wants to drop a steel plate on his head. He's like, no, 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 two steel plates. We're like, okay, <laughs> we gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's it's just going to involve everyone on a sinking boat and it just cuts to your next set of characters on the shore looking at them being like ah oh, look at those poor chumps <laughs> too bad they couldn't magic their way out of that it's not quite a case of railroading but i will give tickets onto the plot bus and if you don't want to get on the plot bus that's on you which makes me wonder like why are you playing it looks like everyone has filled that out we have a bunch of things that will not uh come up in the game the next part we will have is if everyone can introduce their character my goal is the following to know your character what your character's name is kind of what their archetype is the, the template they're off of uh, your name and anything the rest of the group you think you should know off the top of their heads your name character's name the, the template and how your character sees themselves. So you might be like, hi, I'm the Wizard of Time and Space. My character's name is Nathan Hendrickson. He's a, a medium uh, height, white person of slightly Asian extraction with uh, longer than average hair and very mismatched clothing who is constantly laughing and whistling at jokes that no one else can hear. They are uh, very competent in correspondence and time and has a fondness for the te- uh, pentacle of Jupiter or something like that. So just kind of like your, your, your mage okay Cupid profile, as it were. For Robin, is there an outward sign that if someone were looking really closely that someone could tell that they're a cyborg? Uh, this isn't going to be a narrative thing. It's not going to be like one of those things like, ha-ha, I saw your secret eye laser. And maybe to the rest of the world, they just look like unusually good prostheses. It's not like Cable or anything from the X-Men or Forge, necessarily. Okay, cool. Uh, Jason, uh, it sounds like you already. Jason, uh, who are you and what you playing? What movie or meme do you think most recently captured Thomas's attention? Okay. So at some point, hopefully you will shout, are you not entertained at, uh, at some or some group of people? I look forward to that. Nafka?
How do you think Catherine dresses? Mm -hmm. What is the one topic over which Catherine is unusually earnest despite being a curmudgeon? Okay. So your character is likely kind of one of the locals here. Um, and I think that brings us to Mordash. Yes. He said, Googling it quickly. <laughs> Or, or the possible child of that person who used to wear, like, the Riddler things to tell you that the government would give you money if you read his book. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's an aesthetic. Nice. Uh, what fates do you think you are an agent of? Uh, it could be uh, a member of the Theoi. It could be the Norns. Uh, it could be the Erinyes, the Avestian Yazata. It could be a modern incarnation in the form of Lady Luck. It could be Providence. It could be tied to uh, St. Christopher or another synchronization with Christianity. When you think of the embodiment of fate, who do you think your character thinks of? And it can also be novel. It doesn't have to be drawn from one of the world's uh, traditions. Okay. Okay. Your character may or may not draw from an actual world magical tradition. If not, that's fine too. If it is just a vague embodiment that your character believes that more or less the universe is a machine of some sort and they give themselves over to that, that's entirely fine. But sometimes people are like, I have this in particular. <laughs> 
So like, for instance, your character has the, uh, the focuses of, of dreaming, chanting or singing, odd behaviors that confuse and distract, and firearms. So at some point, if you're going to do something that manipulates chance, we're going to need to come up with a way of connecting those two. And there's a whole bunch of ways to do it. And once you do an effect, we'll figure it out. So the task at hand, you are part of a hastily assembled task force of available mages from the uh, Council of the Nine Mystic Traditional Traditions. Uh, that is a in-world group that we, we don't really need to worry about. About three weeks ago, a attempt at taking down a group of kind of ghost cannibal sorcerers by the name of the uh, Orphod Helidige, or those who feast on shadow, was done. After a long investigation involving claims of diabolism, murder, thefts of artifacts, and several other crimes, there was an attempt to destroy them in an umbral realm, which is to say a hideaway in the spirit world that the group used, and not quite everyone was captured in the process. You've discovered that the remaining members are laying low in Philadelphia in an attempt to kind of wait out the storm, and you have an idea that they are waiting for a particular celestial alignment that will allow them to more or less jump from the mundane side of reality in about three days. Your goal is to deal with as many of them as you feel you have time for and in the way you want to. So one of the notions in this game is you get to be the agents of justice. If you think someone is not that bad, don't worry about it. If you're like, this person needs to be nuked from space, everyone's going to be okay with that. This is a case where I'm going to just dump some some text in chat and then I'm going to speak a bunch of it out loud. And that way it is there for people who like to read with their eyes as opposed to read with their ears, because uh, I think it's only polite to offer both. So the, the members of this group that you have been able to trace to the city of Philadelphia are four characters. So the first was a character by the name of Oric Dunth, the Forgotten Priest, who more or less is wanted for consuming the essence of a high umbral lord. There's this kind of umbral spirit by the name of Parthenax, who he ate in an attempt to gain power, which worked quite successfully. There is no mortal crime that is analogous to eating a spirit, because that's... Humans don't know that they exist necessarily, but the followers of Parthenax, the umbral lord he consumed, are very interested in getting revenge on him. The next one is Samantha Keene, who is someone who has been trading in artifacts, claiming that they were liberated, was uh, fond of stealing them from museums, and then selling them to other mages and magical practitioners that she thought would give better use for them. Calamity, this kind of awkward, slightly off-kilter mage who was known for consuming what are known as bygones, which is magical creatures of various stripes is known for kind of poisoning and despoiling places of, of natural magic, like driving cold iron into trees and sacred groves and, and other kind of magical terrorism, as it were. Again, no analog in human crime. And the final one is, a, is the Shadow Mind, who seemingly offers people eternal life in exchange for uh, several hundred years of servitude, uh, for, for thousands of years of service and has kind of been going around the country amassing kind of a personal death cult unto themselves. And you have a short period of time in which to pick who you want to go after. Within the time tonight, we probably have enough time for one and a half or something like that. The way I generally like to do it is we will begin in media race for one of them, and the other we will kind of go through the process on. So the question then becomes, who do you want to go after? And what do you think your characters would think about it? If anyone has any initial thoughts, just shoot it out, and we'll figure out what the group wants to do.
Okay, so it's so it sounds like Auric and Calamity were the two that kind of had the most. So if it's if it's okay with everyone, if that is our agreement that we'll go after, we'll try and do those two. We will begin in media race with you tracking down Auric Dunth, if that's okay. So you have found that Auric Dunth has attempted to set up another cult in the city of Philadelphia who is attempting to consume some sort of angel by the name of the Unbegotten. You have traced this group's next activity to the Church of the Transfiguration. The Church of the Transfiguration is an abandoned church that is off one of the main streets in Philadelphia. This is where I will drop that map in. The map isn't hugely important. It's just one of those things where sometimes it's useful to just have a vague idea of what Philly looks like. We're going to do this in kind of a rapid fire fashion going around the group. Mark, do you think your group went under the cover of darkness or during the day? Okay. June, do you think your group infiltrated as potential cult members? Or do you think they did that thing where they like came in through the skylight while this was actually happening? Okay. Jason, what was the cool thing that you prepared ahead of time? It, it can't be like a huge flashy magical effect necessarily, but it's it's something that that just in case thing that you prepared. It could be you could be armed to the teeth. You could be wearing pants essentially made out of hand grenades if you want to. Maybe you called it into the cops. There's like, hey, we discovered this drug ring that is located out of here. Uh, what what is that weird backup plan that you have? Okay, cool. Sure. If anyone has anyone ide- any ideas that they want to pitch Jason, by all means, please do. You could have a getaway vehicle. You could have multiple, multiple getaway vehicles. Uh, someone could arrange a flash mob to appear and start protesting something. Like suddenly in the middle of this, if things go haywire, a whole bunch of people suddenly have signs that say fur is murder outside. Oh, nice. That's amazing. Connor, when your character thinks violence is going to occur, what do you think they do to prepare for that? Okay, they're packet heat. Yeah, that's, uh, as I am fond of saying, you have access to the 10th sphere, gun. Um, so... <laughs> Yes, it's it's rem- zero paradox, <laughs> which which is beneficial. There was a shipping dock that you backed up to that maybe one of you did one of the super cool things where it's like, I know how to pick this lock. And the other person just pointed at it and it turned into rust and they like blew it away. But uh, you enter this kind of dank lower hallway. You've made your way in. There's this kind of kitchenette area 
that is just a standard regulation Protestant basement church kitchen where it has like this uncomfortably large refrigerator that could probably fit like six children in the 70s when seemingly last it was used and has the unnecessarily large door latch. It has like four sinks that if you had to like kill a cow or something you could do in it. I I don't know what they were planning on doing with this kind of scale back then, but it, it existed. And then you can kind of see over the set of counters that in this set of black and white track suits, you can tell that this guy has really kind of fallen from the Colts Oric Dunth maybe has led before. You can see on a catafalque, like one of the platforms used to hold up, used to hold up a coffin, there's a table probably about 12 foot long and about four feet wide. And there is something under a sheet that is glowing faintly. And there is probably a half dozen people milling around the room and they're just having spumante. So a remarkably bubbly, incredibly sweet, generally not terribly expensive kind of sparkling white wine. There is one figure with this absolutely massive, dusty tome that they are holding. Like you had the stereotype of like a, of the Oxford English Dictionary, the single volume copy that you could get. And it looks like that had been aged 2000 years. And these sheets are, are uncomfortably large. Each sheet is like 11 by 17 and there is somebody that is kind of reading from it this this short bald man that is doing something and kind of you can see that uh there is this large clay bowl that he is daubing the foreheads of everyone in attendance with before the action starts if everyone would like you have more or less the ability to Explain and justify one magical effect that you would kind of like to do that you think you could get away with from a church kitchen. There's a couple ways you can do this. You can walk in and you can you can threaten force. You can go in guns a-blazing, not being entirely sure what is happening. You can try some sneaky shit. All of these are perfectly valid. This is Maids the Ascension. Would anyone like to propose what they think the group's plan should be? Okay. They're all drinking it. Yes. It is from one source. It is one uncomfortably large bottle of spumante. It is it is giant. Like the person holding it looks like a tiny person because like for whatever reason, very large bottles of wine are just like you held the corner in Photoshop, held shift and just like made it bigger along all the axes. I never knew why they did it that way. But it is this massive bottle of inexpensive white wine and people are, people are sipping on it. It doesn't seem like it's ceremonial in any way. It just seems like people are nicely enjoying spumante. What's your idea? You'd like to poison it. So the tricky part with that is it's kind of over there. But you know what you do notice? Within the fridge, as you look over, the fridge is still on. There's probably more in there if you would want to do something with that. What's your thought? You said you wanted to poison it? Mm -hmm. I think that's reasonable that there was hors d'oeuvres and shit in the fridge. Mm-hmm. Okay.
Uh, Fatal is going to be hard. You can turn the next round of hors d'oeuvres into Ipecac. So these people are going to be wrenching something fierce. That's that's good. So your character, you, you gently sneak over to this fridge and you pull the latch down and it makes this loud thunk noise. And one person looks over, but they can't see you because you're obscured by the countertop. And when they look back, you pop it open. And so can you give me some like vaguely Greek noises that you think your character would whisper? And, and, and you're whispering at it. Do you tell the group what you're doing ahead of time or do they just see you person handling these hors d'oeuvres? Got it. Got it. Let's walk through what Connor is having Catherine do. So it sounds like this to me is a matter to life to effect or alternatively life to entropy to. You're just doing a very simple hex here. If someone were to see, see someone eat these deviled eggs and then have a poor reaction, I don't think anyone would be surprised. I would argue it's vulgar if someone ate this many deviled eggs and didn't have a negative response to it. So uh, the difficulty of that is the highest sphere level, in this case, two plus three for it being a coincidental. So uh, Connor, you're going to be able to roll, I believe, five dice against difficulty five. So that is the, the difficulty of it. For the agent of fate, the way kind of predict an outcome is going to be is that is something where it can do one of two things. One, you can kind of use a, a form of precognition to see how it is likely to turn out and then do something different. So that would systematically represent itself by getting a bonus on some intervening activity. Or if you propose a plan, I can give you a rough idea of one way in which it may turn out. The goal here is to avoid the scenario that we're like playing the Tomb of Horrors and before anyone does literally anything, you like throw a stick through the door to make sure it's not trapped in the form of using a time to effect. But more or less, that's how it would look. Connor, you're going ahead, you're, you're, you're cursing these hors d'oeuvres. And I, I assume you're cursing the hors d'oeuvres and then maybe like putting them over on the counter so someone goes, oh, look, hors d'oeuvres. Nice. Connor, would you roll? The target number is five. You got three successes. Whoever eats these is going to be relatively debilitated by it. Uh, you're not. You're probably not killing anyone, but these whoever eats it is pretty good chance. Unless they're a big CrossFit fan, they're going to be down for a day, and they're going they're going to be feeling it for for a while. So you do that. You slide it over. Is there anything anyone else would like to do? What do you think, Jim? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Got it. Do you see yourself doing anything magical to do that? Or are you just saying, hey, I'm getting ready to do this? Okay. You are ready to dunk from midcourt. That is good.
I am going to uh, systematically represent that by whatever successes you get on this effect. When it comes to the attribute plus ability check to see if it happens, those you get those dice added to it. So uh, th the core conflict resolution system in this game is I will say, hey, what are you trying to do? You tell me what you're trying to do. I will say probably a trait plus trait role that represents that. Generally, it's going to be an attribute plus an ability. Not always. It could be something else. I will indicate a difficulty. And for each dot in the appropriate attribute plus ability combined, you roll that many dice. If the die shows a number higher or equal to the difficulty, it's a success. If it shows a one, a one takes away one success. There are rules if you roll no successes and you also get a one, then something dramatic and annoying happens, but that's kind of more or less the core uh, resolution system. The two other things you have to kind of put your back into things is, one, you can spend a point of willpower to get a automatic success on your roll. No matter what, you will get one automatic success. It can still be canceled out by a one, but it is impossible at that point for you to botch. Things can only go so sideways. The other secret thing that you have is for magic, there, you should have a little quintessence paradox wheel at the bottom. The way that works is you can spend a point of quintessence, you can unmark one of the little X's to reduce the difficulty on a magic roll by one. It's quite useful. And again, uh, you should probably have about three of each and it's a one shot, so drive it like you stole it. So June, let's have Robin roll for that. So you're doing this modification. This is this extended thing. There's weird parts coming out of nowhere. Jason, what does your character think about seeing someone visibly modify their arm with a flywheel they took out of a backpack? <laughs> this doesn't fit the arbitrary story I made in my head that I didn't tell anyone about. I, I find playing, frankly, terrifying. I don't know how anyone does it. You have done your Jedi preparation in advance that you have your set of hand signals that uh, might even be utter non sequiturs that everyone kind of knows what they look like. What hand signal is the one you have for let's roll? Before this kicks off, is there anything anyone else would like to do? I Mark... Yeah. On a scale of small, medium, or large, what scale gun do you think you have? So a uh, small, small, medium side. Cool. So you have like a, a Glock 19 or something else like that. Ammo currently runs about 65 to 85 cents around. Thanks, COVID. You have an advantage as an agent of fate. Uh, you can call upon the remarkably coincidental power of, of coincidence. Is there anything that you think your character did to make their gun particularly lucky in this case? What do you think that song sounds like? Do you think it's a, a pop tune of some sort? Do you think it's something that you've sang to your gun before? Is it a, a nursery rhyme? What do you think it is? Quietly. 
Words are hard. One of my favorite ones was, what do you call a thing that a cannonball shooter shoots? So, you're, you're fine. <laughs> okay, so you're beatboxing to your gun. So maybe you have this literal little ritual you do as you're, as you're loading up the individual rounds. And maybe you do a thing where you have blanks in there or something where you know where you know ahead of time that the fourth round is going to be unlucky so you just put a blank in there and you know to pull the trigger twice or something like that let's see ultimately what that looks like so that is just entropy 2 that is coincidental someone may look at you odd if they saw you beatboxing but that is a straight arete roll i believe your character has an arete of 4 so you're rolling 4 dice against difficulty 5 4d10 Nice. So you got three successes. So for the first shot you have for this round, the first like flurry that you're going to go out with, whatever your pool is, just add three dice to that. If I forget, please remind me. The... Shoot. Mm -hmm. I'm a... That was difficulty five. Not a problem. Uh, tens generally don't do anything special unless you have a specialty in something, in which case tens count as two successes. They don't explode. They don't, as a default, count as two. I do kind of like the V5 method where if you get two tens, they count as something weird, but the first ten is just like, eh, who cares? That's just me. So it sounds like the plan is we've got a cyborg who is going to grab a book. You're going to wait for Command of the Witch to see the first person retch after consuming a particularly delicious tray of hors d'oeuvres. Once things start happening, Jason, what do you think you're going to wind up doing? Perfectly reasonable. So so the spumante is poured, the spumante is drank, and who in the process of this do you think is inadvertently going to be the loudest? Uh, uh, pardon me, uh, during your prep process, let me say. But it, I think that's a good thing that uh, Robin's biomechanical arm modification, there could be a point where a particular flywheel is being put in and suddenly it's a little bit on the loud side. June, does that ring true with you? So someone goes over to grab this tray, um, and in the process, they they may overhear you doing this. Would you roll for me a dexterity uh, plus stealth? If you think a different dice pool is appropriate, um, Junior, you are more than welcome to propose a different one. Difficulty six, yeah. The person who went over to grab the tray of hors d'oeuvres has heard you and has kind of reached their head over and kind of, they do the thing where you look, they look down and you do the thing where they look up and before they scream, you have like a quarter second to act. What do you think you want to do? There's a couple ways that this can go. One of the things is you can kind of just do an oh shit effect out of nowhere. 
which will be slightly more difficult because you're doing a magical effect so hastily. Say, for instance, in that brief period of time, you want to grab the person's head and knock them out. You can very forcefully put someone to sleep with life three. Or... If you wanted to, you could use your medical nanites to seal the person's mouth so they couldn't physically scream. Or you can just yell, F it, and begin. So how do you think you do that? Nice. That that seems perfectly reasonable to me. So that, se- that seems like there's going to be a two-parter to this. One is putting this person to sleep. This this kind of pudgy person wearing this black and white tracksuit who has far too many gold chains. Like, you could tell that this person thinks that this is fashionable, but it's really not. They're really not fooling anyone. So the first part to me of this is going to be a, a strength plus athletics role to forcefully pull the person at the same time. Magically, what do you think you do to put them asleep? Is it kind of a Vulcan Volk- nerve pinch thing? Okay, got it. And as you're pulling him, if this were a anime movie, you would yell, Vulcan nerve pinch! To indicate loudly what attack you were doing. Would you roll me a strength plus athletics roll? Uh, that seems like it would apply. If you get any zeros, that's going to count as two successes. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven. You're good. Unless you got, unless one die had three ones on it, uh, you're going to be good. So everyone else sees Robin the android just rip this person over the countertop that was kind of going for this. And maybe it does the comical thing where like the dish of hors d'oeuvres spins. As you do that, you, you try and do this life effect. This person is not seeing it coming. You Vulcan nerve pinch them and you very quickly put this person to sleep. Give me a, a roll of a retay four against difficulty. I think this is going to look relatively coincidental if someone gets pulled over a countertop and slammed against a, the ground that someone could just think that they are knocked out. So if you would roll, give me a retay roll against difficulty five. Yep. So that should just be, I think, four. Mm-hmm. Uh, difficulty five. Nice. So you pulled this person over. It's probably a difficulty six for it being life three. My bad. But you pull them over. You put it down. Uh, this person is immediately asleep. Do you think, does anyone have a reaction to seeing this, like, just beast mode action by the cyborg? Mm-hmm. Okay, how do you think you would do that? So it sounds like the goal is to have maybe anyone looked over. They didn't see that there was a person there. They just see this tray. They come over and take it and, and can go back and begin to preferably result in all of their colleagues throwing up fiercely. So to keep things moving, we'll just say that. So what is your what is your chain of logic here, Jason? Uh, 
I think you can convince someone that they just make it seem like the person went to the bathroom or something like that uh, to, to kind of create the illusion that they're still there is, is, is going to be a little bit trickier. And you said you were representing that. How? What was the focus in your mind for that? Tossing the handkerchief onto the counter. But if I'm going to be disconvincing that they went to the bathroom, right. I might actually just toss the handkerchief towards where I think the bathroom may be as a symbolic like they went this way. Okay. So you're just kind of using that kind of misdirection. So that happens. Someone looks over, looks at the bathroom, wonders why, like, oh, Jim was supposed to get the hors d'oeuvres. He comes back and holding the hors d'oeuvres, he comes back, uh, someone, uh, maybe this person's spouse, there is a comical amount of hair product in this middle-aged woman's hair. This is something where, like, if you were to throw a spear at this updo, it could possibly get caught in it. This this person's haircut is a is a fire hazard. This is it's very concerning. But again, the same black and white tracksuit. Is there like a candle or something nearby her hair? If you want there to be, that sounds like something that can be conveniently inserted into the narrative. Because when I think cults, I think candles. With that, as the tray comes back, the person with the tome kind of announces the the time of consumption approaches. Finish the spumante. And everyone does it. And he goes, this may take a while. So everyone have a snack. And someone grabs that tray. It goes back out to the group. What is the most pretentious, but not actually impressive hors d'oeuvre anyone can think of? This is obviously a cult for yippies. I'm thinking like the gray stuff. <laughs> comes up in the Beauty and the Beast song. They serve it at Disneyland. It's basically some like, I want to say like probably in the movie, it's like some kind of pureed liver. Oh, pate. Oh, pate? Yeah. yeah. I think pate is very pretentious. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> I didn't know if you were making a reference to foie gras. And we're like, we're not going to discuss cruelty to animals. I'm like, okay, I can live with that. <laughs> so there's this pate, and it is remarkably pretentious. Like, it is something like Lord Basilford brand pate or something like that. And and you can clearly see the Target logo that has been covered up, like whatever the Target house brand is, to make it look a little bit fancier. And people start, they have this, and they start some sort of chanting. And with that, this elongated figure under the white robe just starts kind of making this pained kind of stirring noise. And you're pretty sure you can hear the rattle of chains. And this chant is going fine. And the group is kind of concerned, like, holy shit, we were supposed to stop this. Yeah, I think I want to grab that book now. Yeah, but as you're getting ready to act, you're pretty sure you hear the first person go, like, you know the way when somebody like talks through a belch? It is like that. Very quickly, this starts going poorly. And maybe out of the 11 people, because you still have this body that the, that, that Robin has pulled over the counter. Yep. Let's say a little bit less than half of the people just start wrenching. Like stand by me? I'm not familiar, but do a whole bunch of people start throwing up and stand by me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Okay, that's a gif. That's a powerful, that is a potent, that is a potent oh, gift. Well. Gif. Good to know. Not a game of urban horror. This forceful ejection of pate is audible. And with the first splashing, you can hear the book close with a loud thump. The lights rise in the room, but it is not from the lights of the room itself. It is some sort of combination of the glow coming off of the person that was reading, who is kind of projecting this halo of eyes 
around him. So it, this person was maybe five foot nine, not particularly tall, and was wearing this, again, black and white tracksuit. And above their head, there's now kind of this nimbus of eyes that are a weird collection of colors, like green and purple and red, who are kind of looking around the room and that are going out from his head that are just kind of trying to figure out. And he shouts something about interlopers and unbelievers in their midst. And at the end of it, he goes, somebody get an effing mop. And with that, some people start to scramble. What would the group like to do now? I feel like I probably need to change my plan from grab book to rocket punch this man's face. Okay, rocket punch. That is perfectly acceptable. Mark, you raised your hand. What's up? Yeah, I would like the lady with the hair fire hazard. A lucky moment, I would guess. I don't know if that counts as a lucky moment, but lucky for us, like she accidentally like catches her hair on fire as a distraction. So doing something specific like that would be generally a forces effect. But uh, you can more or less curse her such that something bad happens and that may involve her hair catching on fire, if that makes sense. Um, So would that be considered like a lucky moment? I'm just looking at my road. Oh, sure. So lucky moment would be for you. You have the ability to, with the entropy you have at hand, you could destroy an object. For instance, you could try and break down the catafalque that is holding up the creature. You could try and get the product in her hair to crumble or something like that. Luck in this case, you don't necessarily pick what happens. You just kind of get lucky. Uh, We represent that systematically. And if you get like seven successes on the roll, then you get to be like, hey, here's the super cool lucky coincidence, if that makes sense. Okay, well then I'm going to destroy the book. Nice. You're going straight after that book. How do you think your character does this? Again, you have access to dreaming, chanting, odd behaviors, or firearms. Firearms. Okay. Okay. We're we're, we're using the Ted Sphere here. So it sounds like the action is going to start. I don't know if this is possible, but just something in my head came up. Uh, Go for it. Can I shoot at a candle stand that knocks the candle stand and the candle falls on the book and burns it. I think that sounds entirely reasonable. So the way this would work is you would do the effect and then based on the successes, we'll figure out the lucky thing that did or didn't happen. If that makes sense. Like you don't, you, uh, you don't have to call your shot as it were. Oh, okay. So it sounds like Mark in the guise of, of Max is acting first. This is a, a magical effect that is kind of aiding a mundane effect. So you start out by giving me a dexterity plus firearms roll uh, against difficulty six. Nice. Perfect. Is that right? Yeah. So yep. you got two successes on that, but you're you're aiding this with, with magic. It's already built in. Give me an M4. So this is going to be difficulty five. And we'll see if, if something wildly improbable happens in the course of this. So you get one success. That one cancels out one of them. So you have one magical success plus your two regular ones. So something something mildly unlikely happens. You have struck the book in such a way that you've kind of hit the entire corpus of the page. You've hit down the grain of the book in such a way that it pushes it into the person talking who has now fallen over backward. The beehive woman is now running around. A gun has been fired. And someone yells, someone has a gun, which is funny because like literally they were about to com- consume this, this some sort of umbral entity while people are throwing up and the someone's got a gun is the thing that somebody chooses to yell. So you, at this point, there are four or five people and the person who had the book is now kind of tumbled over backwards and trying to get up. But there are these weird disembodied eyes that at the, the fire of this, they all look in your direction, Max. They start flying over towards you. They don't do anything. They just stare at you. They're not staring at my companions, though, are they? Correct. 
Uh, can I jump over the counter so they focus on? Like, I don't want my kids. Sure, you're distracting them? Yeah. Or you're drawing it away. So you jump over, a whole bunch of people look at you. Who would like to act next? I would like to punch the man. <laughs> Mr. Robinson, I request kindly the, the offer to punch a man. And I would be a fool to deny this. So uh, you're going to have to move a little bit to get there. You are able to move your, your stamina in yards without much difficulty. It's a little bit beyond that. So you're going to lose one die from whatever pool you do to do this bum rush and then go after him. What does the form of, are you trying to subdue them? Are you trying to just take the book? Are you just pummeling them? Oh, I'm just rocket punching this guy like a sucker punch style. Okay, so the way this works is you're going to roll for for the attack. It is dexterity plus brawl, since you're just using Jack Johnson and Tom O'Leary. Yeah. <laughs> you did already do your arm swap earlier, which to me mm-hmm. is better body. That is just something that is going to increase your punchmanship, to use the technical game term to describe that. So, oh, yes, absolutely. So, yeah, exactly. I know. It's it's in the core book. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to see how that magic affected. Give me a roll of a Rite 4 against difficulty 6, and then however many successes you are gonna you have, add that to just a dexterity plus brawl roll. Once again, difficulty 6. All right. Two successes. So I get two, two more dice. successes so you're, to my... You're going to have a beefy handful of eight dice for this attack. So this is an cool. interesting one. We have a magical effect that is feeding an attack roll, which will then feed a damage roll. So this could theoretically get big. We'll see what happens. All right, so I'm rolling eight dice. Yep. All right. And what's the difficulty on this? Uh, difficulty six for this guy as well. Difficulty six. So of my eight dice, I've gotten five successes, and two of them are tens. You do your strength plus two in damage dice, so one extra. Six damage dice. Yes, uh, six damage dice plus any successes you had from the previous one and once, so it sounds like you have 11 dice to play with. Uh, oh my God. Is this overly complicated? Yes. Is this the world of darkness? Yes. Do I apologize for it? Yes. Do I encourage people to use homebrews? Hell yes. But again, I'm the Mage the Podcast guy, so I feel compelled to do what the book tells me. So let's see okay. what that beefy thing goes for. You are a cyborg. Do you think this hand is flesh? Do you think it is steel? What? It, it's definitely like a some kind of like polymer with like okay. a... Uh, with like a carbon steel like inner framing. Do you think it's closer to be it being hit by like a police truncheon or a lead pipe? Ooh, uh, probably police truncheon actually. Okay, cool. Roll your 11 dice. Uh, difficulty six here. All right, I don't have enough D10s, so this is going to be in the roller. Uh-huh. Nice. Oh. Wow. So two cancel, and we get one, two, three, four. But your tens are doubled. You have the specialty of inhuman, and you're literally punching an inhuman person. I'm going to slightly misinterpret that to make it work. That's six successes. <laughs> you have done damage well in excess of this person's stamina rating, and you, to use the technical term, you cold cock them. Hell yeah! And they are out. The book is out. You are left with, there are now three problems on the board, by my thinking. The person that Max subdued is going to be waking up soon. There's a bunch of people that are kind of terrified as to what's going on, and then there's this creature that they were trying to eat that is stirring on the table. Anyone who hasn't gone yet, what would you like to do? So I think that gives us a... Yeah, I've got like a pretty high charisma and empathy. Uh, I don't have any mind, but I do have life. I would like to like... I have no idea what this thing pretty, but I'd like to like, I don't know, turn some of the hors d'oeuvres, like make flowers grow off them and try to soothe it so, okay. th- so that the creature doesn't start getting hostile. That is perf- perfectly fine by me. Jason, have you acted yet? Have not. Okay. And what do you think you're up to? We have people running around. We have a woman shouting about there's gunplay. 
There is a lot of robot arm punching. No one else seems to be in this split second reaching for their own weapons or anything of that nature. And then we have... It, it seems like it is a lot of very scared yuppies. You can also do things like shout a command, like everybody effing leave, especially if it's tied to a movie clip. Right. That would be great. If you want to yell the apocalypse has been canceled or something like that, everyone would be like, uh, okay, not entirely appropriate, but still kind of gets the point across. I am going to yell, get off my plane from the classic Air Force One to try to get everybody to run out of the room. Okay. Is that a magic thing to you or is that literally just what you're yelling? Either one is fine. I think it's a magic thing because it works in the movies. Okay. Uh, in the movies, the hero shouts something with force and with gravitas and people listen. Okay. That sounds like a, a mind two that you're just getting everyone to flee. So give me an Arite roll. Difficult, difficulty five. Oh, <laughs> 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 no. And I think... I think I want to let that. I think I want to let that play to see what happens. Oh, um, you just failed. Nothing crazy happens. Oh, okay. Um, so right. uh, it is only a botch if you had no successes. Since this is difficulty five, you had one success. It prevents it from being a botch. I yelled, uh, "Get off my plane!" And everyone just looks at you. The people who are not are like, "What plane?" And then they hear, "This is a church." Yeah, <laughs> sir. This is a Wendy's. Um, and the, <laughs> and and then the creature that has been down starts kind of getting up. And this is the part where you kind of see the the sheet that was covering it slip away from it. This creature is probably about nine to 10 feet tall, has no head, but has a, a torso and legs and four arms that are floating a little bit off of the body as if there were several shoulders that were invisible. As it kind of props itself up, this this marble white creature kind of extends one or two of its arms. It reaches out and it grabs the eyes that were looking at Max and just kind of crushes them. And then with two other arms, grabs one of the cult members, for lack of a better term, and just kind of very quickly picks one up and just kind of smashes it against the ground in a forceful way that you can hear this person probably isn't getting up. We'll put it that way. But just kind of with this overwhelming force and is slowly starting to bring itself up. What you know as mages is uh, this creature probably isn't going to be able to go on some sort of rampage. The moment it kind of gets out into the light of light of day, the power of everyone else's unbelief, just the sheer crushing banality of, of reality is probably going to very quickly snuff it from existence. Things that obviously violate what everyone thinks is possible, especially in dense urban areas, tends to very quickly be crushed away. So your options are more or less to flee, to try and and speak with it. Anyone that has access to a cult or anyone who has access to the spirit sphere is going to be able to, uh, to do that relatively easily. Or you can attempt to try and kill or subdue it. Probably not the best option, but hey, violence is always an option, even if it isn't particularly good. And with that, that kind of cracking of bone, what few people are not wrenching just kind of run for the exit. Is anyone going to try and stop them? No. 
Mm-hmm. Yep, just let him let him flee out to the night. So you have yeah. you have Orc Dunth, who is still down on the ground. You have this creature that is slowly rising to its very intimidating full height. Again, no head, uh, four disembodied arms, kind of unstuck from the body that seem to trivially be able to grab those multicolored eyes. You are welcome to flee. You are welcome to do something else. Do I know anything about it since I have a high cult. Yeah, let's let's give that a roll. If you would give me an intelligence plus an occult roll, please. This is something you may not have run into before, so I'm going to say this is a difficulty eight. I think you get to roll seven dice on that. You get no successes on this. Uh, You have no idea what this thing is. You are more than welcome to try and use Spirit 2 to reach out to talk to it, though, if you would like, which your character has, I believe your character has access to. I have Spirit 2. Yep. How do you think you would talk to it? I would probably just... I'd probably just talk to it out loud. Okay. What do you think your focus, though, is going to be for this? Uh, uh, so it could be to to get yourself in the mind of talking to a spirit. You could start moving very confusingly. You could uh, stunt and stutter your speech. You could, for instance, try and wa- talk backwards or something like I'm gonna that. I'm going to try to mimic it. Okay. To like... Like, I have no shoulders. <laughs> I hope you're not like, earlier to ear, I have no shoulders. Look at me. I'm 12 foot tall. And I was going to be eaten by a cult. That can end very poorly. You're like, well, it's just crushed a human being. What do we do? Let's piss it off. You go through that. So while Max is doing that, is anyone else attempting to do anything? You still have this knocked out auric dunf on the ground. We have, Connor's, we have Connor's flower thing, right? That might not have done anything. Mm-hmm. So you have this you have this flower offering the uh, the tray that previously caused people to to upchuck and that now looks lovely it it is something you've created something pinterest worthy Connor what do you think a curmudgeonly flower arrangement looks like I think it's like chrysanthemums and she's like snickering cuz she seems kind of pretentious Okay it's like oh it's a it's a funeral arrangement Okay and you, you kind of hold this up while Max is is trying to reach out to this thing. Would uh, June or Jason like to, in some way, address the uh, the knocked out cult leader on the ground? I'm definitely going to like try to tie okay. and gag him. Let's presume you have that. What do you do that with? I do carry around. I Well, so one of the wonders I have is digit tools, which is an array of micro tools and small items that are embedded in one of my hands. A small torch, light, caliber gun, something I can choose. Uh, so basically, like pop open a compartment on my arm and it's a bunch of zip ties. Or you do that thing where like a fingernail comes back and you just pull this thing out and people are like, oh no, mm-hmm. she's going to decapitate someone again. And you're like, no, 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 this is just a zip tie. Stop. Cool your dick. You have quickly bound Auric Dunth and uh, you've done the standard. You've taken one of the, the vomitous people or, or the person that was maybe smushed into the ground, grab the tracksuit, shove it into the person's mouth. Images can be remarkably difficult to declaw. So this could be something that the pops up if this if if uh, Oric attempts to start doing anything but i'm also just like no yeah yeah, 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 yeah you'll have I'm, a chance I'm, I'm taking care of this i trust the rest of my team to uh deal with the angel yeah. in the room <laughs> can we all address the angel in the room so mark if you would give me an arete roll for your character's attempt at spirit communication that's just going to be arete four uh against difficulty five so you reach out to this creature and you start speaking to it and you, you start mirroring its body movements and you get the, the intense sense that this thing is angry and it wants to kill everyone present. Oof. What do you say in response to it? What will appease you? And it simply replies with the destruction of those who would steal my freedom and consume my head. So it seems like this creature used to have a head is now missing. I was going to say, it was yes. helpless, right? So they've already they, done Like, ah, oh, they started dinner early. 
I wonder if the pate was. Made that would be from awkward. <laughs> that was my unfortunate thought. Is like, well, whatever they consumed, it's uh, it's out now. I guess. Uh, I guess to say, why don't you go back to sleep, and I'll go find your head. And it just looks at you and goes, Jillamothica requires no rest. And with that, the creature kind of rises to its full height now, which you're pretty sure is higher than it was before. And now you're pretty sure that there are eight disembodied arms. And it is starting to just kind of tear apart the building you are in, looking for its head. What did you say to it, Max? I, I, I just asked what I wanted. And then I asked if it go to sleep. Because someone like weird angel thing to go to sleep. Well, what you never what is know. it? What is it? It it wants its head back, but that's it's offered it dead. I did offer it the head. I didn't care. Uh, well, can we destroy maybe... the building and just jet out of here? Uh, it, as it destroys it, you are perfectly willing to just kind of jet if you like. Does anyone have like a destruction? Oh, I don't think you need it. Oh, like, so uh, one rule of mage: nothing oh. is called a spell. So that, that's that's our oh. one rule. Uh, everything is everything is in effect. You're fine. Uh, it is the one we, we don't. This game doesn't have mana, and there are no spells. Uh, and that is the, the the two the two things that makes different uh, mage different from any, every other wizard mana game. Your vote then, Max, is to just book. Okay. Yep. This is so very far oh. outside my my specialty too. And as much as I would like to save this rare and very like you know endangered magical being. This is the I I make robots. I make robots. <laughs> this is remarkably unrobotic. I don't deal with angels. But yeah. counterpoint, as we are running out of time, I think there is the like the whole reason we're capturing Oric, which we do have, is to bring him to trial or mm-hmm. justice for the crimes he's mm-hmm. committed, and. Mm-hmm. We're kind of unleashing this thing on the city. Uh, yeah, if we leave it, we're a little bit responsible. Probably, for... n- it's one of those things where it, it's not like you've un- unleashed a kaiju. It is likely that though it will kind of get out into the world and just kind of be crushed by the force of unbelief. It's going to war of the world. Yes, I, that's a good way of putting it. All right. Well, then we probably should ditch. As we ditch, I would like to accelerate the decay of the building falling into itself. Okay, so you're, how do you think your character does that? It would shoot a bullet at it. <laughs> okay, I think one bullet might be insufficient, but maybe you do something where you're like, on your way out, you tell everyone to grab as much of the, uh, the crappy blue wallpaper as possible and to just kind of tear it down behind them as they go or something like that. Or maybe you shout something to Robin to be like, punch that pillar. And then you're like, Catherine, I need you to upturn that table that you're just kind of setting the chaos in the room such to do that. And maybe your last thing is you go behind you and you shoot the building. That way we can have the dramatic single bullet collapse. How does that sound? That sounds perfect. Incredible. Give me an Arite roll, please. I'm going to say this is vulgar without witnesses. All the other people have fled and kind of this weird uh, eight-armed umbral 12-foot tall creature. It's certainly not a witness. <laughs> so this is uh, difficulty seven. You have an retail fort. Remember, you can blow a point of willpower to get an automatic success or spend a point of quintessence to uh, reduce the difficulty by one. Oh, I want an automatic success. Nice. So you spend that point of willpower. You rage bullet behind you. So you got two successes. So you can hear the creaking of this building. And with that, as you go out, you slam the door behind you. After you fire the shot, 
and you can just kind of hear the uh, the celestialry of this church kind of collapse. Like you have the first set of slanted eaves, and then above that you have a set of glass windows, and above that you have a second roof. And as you slam that door, that second set of roof rimmed by the glass just kind of collapses down. And as it does, you you look back and you don't see a 12-foot-tall angel poking out. So you're pretty confident it's gone in some way. And now you've got this Auric Dunth character. What would you like to do with them? Well, first I blow off my my gun the most fancy way possible. <laughs> I just look over at Jason's character for a second and roll my eyes. And I'm like, go ahead, see, see the thing. Why do you always do you think I have a thing? Yeah, you always have a thing to say. I'll just turn to the building and say, consider that a divorce. I hate that, you. That's <laughs> total total recall if you're keeping score. I like the idea of like for our patrons, I've removed Jason's bad jokes if you would like to. <laughs> uh, so so you have this character, this five foot nine. A person who who is currently gagged and is trying to fidget with their hands and do something and is trying to pull something out of their pockets. Okay, I uh, I would like to stop that, and I think I have an idea. Okay. For focuses, some of my stuff includes like uh, experimental tools and procedures and mechanical and medical tools. I would like to like pull out basically like a skin patch slap over mouth and hands to just like fuse together to prevent movement prevent like somatic or verbal stuff from happening the complication then is if you want to talk to them you're going to need to find a way to do that i mean do we really have much to say to them we kind of want to uh just turn them in yeah do we want to know where the head is too late i think i think the head gone. door is closed <laughs> look i wanted the i wanted the spirit alive too but i don't i don't know about that <laughs> You have successfully silenced Auric. So what do you think your next step now is is going to be? As you are having this conversation, you feel a, a nimbus of cold blue flame kind of ripple across you. As you look behind you to see what caused this, you can see a cloud passing by that very clearly looked like that headless eight-armed angel that you were just exposed to. And you're like, probably fine. <laughs> so still down ahead, but that's what future sessions are for. Yeah. <laughs> we'll burn that bridge when we get there. What did you want to have happen with Auric Dunth? Like, what, what do you think the punishment befitting him is? This is something the group gets to describe. You have oh. the following options. You can brand him which is a magical process by which he more or less wears a dunce cap and everyone kind of knows what he's done and where he is it's the nathaniel hawthorne book that no one actually likes the scarlet letter uh solution ah. yeah <laughs> you, you can scarlet letter you could maim or disfigure the person if you thought that was just you could kill them or you could try and do something else how familiar are we with the other traditions so, so this is a case where, where, where the power is in your hands. There isn't really another thing you can turn them over to. Okay. Um, oh, I want to so, ask the fates. So, so what you could do, the, the other thing you could do is you could try and reach out to the followers of Parthenax, who were, was the cult that whose 
um, whose leader they have previously mm-hmm. destroyed, uh, they will more than likely see to his demise in a way that is highly unpleasant. I like the idea of flipping a coin and having him flip it. Okay, okay. so we've got some Anton Chigurh action going on here. I was, whoo! That's what a if, bit heavy. What if we simply execute him? Like, it's the best he's going to get. Yeah. That's like the nicest, but like most meaty way he mm-hmm. would be stopped in the future. I think I mean, off with his head. I kind of didn't realize that this was so very much uh, in our hands. Uh, I kind of assumed... Mm-hmm. It is entirely in your hands. Yeah, I kind of assumed that we were uh, grabbing him to turn him over to some, to a group. and like I did. Know, I, I was going to... I, I felt similarly, but... I mean, we can. I mean, we could. And just, you know, get that, it says he's got a price on his head. We could, like, you know, throw him in. Let the let them decide and walk away I, with uh, whatever. I am merely indicating that, that based on what you know from your experience, again, they will. Uh, you can certainly turn him over to the followers of Parthenax, who will result in his very untimely demise. So, if it makes a moral difference to you, that is fine, and that is that is kind of the discussion I want the characters to have. Uh, Mage doesn't have a morality stat. Um, there, there is no humanity to roll, which means the morality is reflected in the world and the fact that your character quite simply has to live with choices. There is no way to systematize it away to be a humanity check. Max is all about leaving it to the fates. So I would either want to ask the fates or I'll say, let's, 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 uh, let's do we want him? I'm not so super interested. Cause like if a mage really wants to like, they really can so I think we should probably just like cap him and call it a day. Cause like if we brand him, they'll find him later. Probably that'd be like the nicest way to, right. he can't do anything anymore. And he won't be like soul tortured by some like ancient wizard. But maybe he deserves the soul torture though. This is his second consumption crime. I don't know. Cat probably does not think anybody deserves soul torture. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, th- I do think the most humane thing we could do would be to just off him quickly. So Cat is of the opinion that to turn uh, to turn Oric over would be a fate worse than death. Is that a good way mm-hmm. of putting it? She is almost certain that it would be. Max wants to leave it in the hands of the fate. Max, what do you think the two sides of the coin that you want to flip are? Like, if you're flipping that coin, what are the two sides of the coin? Either bring him over to the, the Parthenex people, or I'll just shoot him in, in the heart and... Hopefully it looks like a heart attack with my magic. Oh, that would be pretty badass that it's one of your blanks and you just cause a heart attack. Yeah. I think that, I think that's pretty BA. Uh, Jason, what were your thoughts? Sorry. I would agree with Kat. I think that fate worse. It is a, definitely a fate worse than death to have him tortured at the hands of, I mean, he probably deserves it because he's doing a little bit of his, the can, the cannibalism here. I mean, I, I wrote down very emphatically when you described them as ghost cannibal sorcerers. Because that's a little bit BA. You're like, that's a sentence. (laughs) I definitely think that we need, he needs to be ended and, but, but we're not the same kind of monsters they are. So, yeah, I think like basically Robin's opinion on the situation is like, they're they're the bounty hunters here, not the judge and jury here. Basically Robin's opinion on the situation is like, they're just the bounty hunter cashing in on bringing this person to, to justice for, to the people who need to punish him. So it sounds like we have two people that are heartily against turning him 
over, one person, in this case, Robin, that is in favor, and an agent of feints who isn't sure. I don't know about you, but this sounds like there may be a coin flip involved. You may do that. And Kat goes, I will, of course, abide by uh, the laws of chance, and she'll uh, lick her thumb and bite it to influence the coin to go towards killing him instantly. Okay. Entropy too. So the way I see this going down is you have you have the coin that is being flipped you are trying to influence it so this goes up so if it lands in flavor of heads my mental image is the coin lands you flip it over on the back and without even looking necessarily at the result if it comes up death you just pull the trigger i don't hesitate i just like right okay. in the heart <laughs> cool so connor do you want to give me a a roll an entropy 2 roll to influence the outcome of a coin so that's going to be 5 dc5 uh, five against difficulty five, yes. This is entropy, right? Yeah. 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 This is. I just... also have a dot in entropy. Is that would that be enough to do anything to like sense that that a uh, cat here is kind of bend the rules a bit? You are more than welcome to use counter magic if you would like to. You have entropy one that would allow you to do it. So, is your goal to see if somebody is is influencing it, or is your goal to try and do something with the outcome of the coin flip? I just want to make it an actual fair coin flip. So yeah, it sounds like counter magic. In that case, that is just your rolling against difficulty eight to stop the mm-hmm. effect. June, difficulty eight versus difficulty five in this case. I will expend. Now, my sheet has two things of willpower. It's a couple dots, and then three squares. Mm-hmm. What is my actual willpower? Like, how much do I have? You are unclicking the square. Uh, I'm to, unclicking to... the square. Yes. I understand. Okay. Yeah, I will spend willpower and then... Is that one of my dice is a success, or I roll five and I have a success? You on roll top? five and have a success on top. And what am I rolling? A rite? A rite? A rite? A rite against difficulty eight, yeah. A rite against difficulty eight. I will also expend a power. I just hope somehow this botches all around, the coin just explodes, and Auric gets away or something like that. <laughs> Got <laughs> an eight and a ten for success. I'm at, I get zero. I have two ones, a six, and then my willpower. That certainly could have been that could have been interesting. So the fair coin lands. I am going to represent the hand of fate if that's acceptable, and it seems like it's going to be even. He is shot. Odd. You turn him over. It's a two. So as that coin comes down, it lands in Max's hand. The gun. I assume. What does your character look like? Paint me a word picture of how this unfolds. Like, what do you think his stance is as the coin is done? Do you think the gun is already drawn? No, the gun is. The gun is not drawn when he flips the coin. Okay. He's ready. His hand is like right there. Okay. His hand's on it. Oryx's eyes are darting back and forth with this patch of skin over his mouth between the coin as it arcs, your hand, and the subtle movement of probability that you can kind of feel shift with such swirling of it, maybe briefly Every piece of paper in the area all blows back to form the torn up pages of a phone book that was around it. Or briefly, a portion of the corner of the building that had crumbled falls back into place. Nothing immortal would necessarily go anything beyond, hey, that's weird. But you can very much feel as this is surfaced. So that coin comes down. What kind of coin do you flip? Do you think it's anything special? Uh, a JFK 50 cent piece? A, uh, a Susan B. Anthony dollar? Just a penny that I found on the street a long time ago and put it in my pocket. So you have your lucky slash unlucky penny as the scenario deems. It lands on the side of death. What do you think your character does at that? Without any hesitation, he pulls out his gun, 
puts it to his chest and pulls the trigger, puts his gun back and walks away like nothing just happened. We've had our Anton Chigurh moment. As you had mentioned, this is a case where we're going to fudge the rules. Normally it would be entropy four to be able to like cause heart attack. But I do like the idea that you pull the trigger, they expire, and then everyone else is thrown off by the fact that there is no bullet hole. It's like the Big Lebowski. Yeah. (laughs) Robin definitely just like flinches and just lets out like, quiet, Jesus, fuck. You now have a dead body. What are you going to do with it? He had a heart attack. Yeah. Leave it. Uh, okay. Uh, he's also got, mm, leave it. Uh, he's also got like his hands and mouth bound in fake flesh. So like. Correct. Oh, we'll take that As off. As I said, there's no morality system, but the world will remind you of what you've done. Yeah. Uh, oh God. In that. Mm. To to cover it up, can I un can I untie knit the flesh mm-hmm. with life too and matter too? Sure. Uh, the person is now dead. You need only matter to manipulate the form. Oh, right. Uh, I'm being a little bit dramatic. It's been like 30 seconds. You would still probably need both, but still, um, I, I get, sure. to, get to add I that have it anyways. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's not like we're worried about this. You unknit it, this dead, dead character in your arms. Uh, quite simply, are, do you leave this body in uh, next to an abandoned church or do you do something else with it? There isn't a right answer. I just, this is me exploring. Your characters have made a weighty choice. How are they going to see it through? I would think we just leave them in the streets. That's where he died. I'll call some uh, of my ritual assistants. Unless June has something. I was going to say, like, we should probably do something because, like, yeah, he's got it. He died of a heart attack. But also, like, we've handled this man a bunch. Oh, if, you, if your worry is about uh, deniability, that's something where Life 2 Matter 2 could easily remove all traces of you from, from the presence if you wanted to. Cool, yeah, yeah. I would probably like just make sure that you could not be traced to us like yeah. via forensics. I'll call my ritual assistants and be like, I got fresh parts. Who wants some? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we got um, eyes, we got fingernails, folks. In due time, who? what's the name of the ritual assistant that comes by to visit you? I think she calls herself Lucretia, and nobody has ever asked what her actual name is, but that's what she goes by. Okay, how is Lucretia dressed? Give me give me a little thumbnail ske- sketch of uh, Lucretia. She is like a witch, and she knows it. It's like black. She looks like Morticia Adams, but like a little bit more down to earth. Like she's not a celebrity, but like black dress, black hair. It's a little wet, and she rolls up. Do you think this is something you've done before, where you've just kind of proffered a human body to Lucretia? No, but a cat knows that she'd find that value. I don't think cats killed anybody, but I think the cat would know that she would find it valuable. Do you think this is the first person cat has seen die at functionally their hands? Yes. Do you think cat is shaken by this or do you think this fits into the... Absolutely. She's got like empathy three. Now she's a little shaken. Uh, so Lucretia rolls up in her Buick and the window rolls down. Does she know you as cat or by another name? Probably Cat, or she'd say Catherine. So Lucretia gets out and draws herself up to her full height, and and somehow, despite the fact that it is still at night, that strip of light is illuminating across her eye, maybe uh, as light filters through that fallen church, and goes, you said you had something for me to pick up. What do you got? Yeah, uh, so what I have for you, his name was Oric. He expired by natural causes. Wink. I don't want to 
think or worry about it and I will get you, she's a contact, right? In, in technical terms. A ritual assistant is something you can use to actually create like large effects, like their, oh, uh, their cool. backups, but, but you have your occult contacts. So yeah, let's just say it's one of those. Yeah, this probably be the occult contacts. We're both kind of doing each other a favor here. Like you're getting parts and like yeah. helping me out here. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, does anyone have an idea for a, a good name for kind of the, a, a pagan or dark force that, that Lucretia has it in for? Like what's a good uh, name for kind of a dark god? The Horn King. Okay. So you're like, I have an offering for the Horn King? Yep. Yeah. And with this, she kind of looks at it and let's just see how she responds to this. She tries to keep it together and it is very obvious that she is acquainted with the notions of death and maybe even the notions of blood and sacrifice, but she is not acquainted with a reasonably warm human body. Uh, And she just kind of starts freaking out. And is like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Charisma. You killed someone. Holy fuck, you, sh- you, you killed someone. Charisma, okay. empathy. <laughs> okay. I'm a calmer down. Sure. This is going to be difficulty eight. Uh, understandable. That. Willpower. And she looks around the group and sees this kind of misfit collection of people. So you've you've spent your point of willpower. Uh, how did the roll turn out? Uh, ooh, um, two, tens don't matter, but two successes, no ones. Mm-hmm. And okay, so two successes, three. no one, three successes. So you're, you're able to calm Lucretia down, but it's very obvious that her hands are trembling and, and she's she's able to, to calm down at this. And she just looks at you and goes, what the fuck do you want me to do with a body? This is a whole body. Um, make an offering to the Horned King, don't you? I mean, I know that you like burn. She's a lot more of an empathetic person than I am, but like, you know, he was a very bad person person in a way this is more moral than like sacrificing or an animal which i know that you do so i think robin's just like kind of dealing with her own little bit of a freak out of that herself as well just like okay what's that freak out look like do you think for robin it's more just like uh taking a few steps away from the group and just like finding something to lean on closing her eyes a bit and just like doing some some breathing exercises finding her zen a little bit for the first part of the scene you have walked through the process whereby you were magic people you interfaced with magic you saw an angel and now you have this moment where you're very much being faced with the raw humanity of there being a dead body in front of you this friend of a friend who has mm-hmm. borne witness to it who has more or less just reminded you that you have taken a human life you as an android there's only so much you can separate as it were, the meat from the metal. That is something that's having a bearing on you. Max is utterly unshaken by this. Oh, oh. And he's kind of like standing in a way to like look good in a flirty way with Lucretia. <laughs> Just trying to get her attention. <laughs> I think like because of that, that's like definitely like one of the things that was kind of like put down in the history is like, you know, Showing that even though I'm a cyborg, I've not sacrificed my humanity. But beyond, I feel, I feel like it's more like her view on it is that just because she's had to replace some parts of herself because she lost them due to tragedy doesn't make her any less of a person. And I think like this is a reminder of that to her that she is kind of reacting a bit more normally. I think to this situation than some. <laughs> pure flesh and blood folks in this group are which is a little bit of a cold comfort what does that look like for robin 
I think it's just mostly just like a mental, just kind of like basically that's her thought process on the whole thing. That's like basically the mantra she's like going through in her head. The 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 logical like if X means Y, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, thing that she's telling herself to like try to uh, pick out a silver lining from this kind of tense situation. Jason, how do you think Thomas is re- responding to this? Thomas thinks that specifically that Ulrich had this coming, and Ulrich actually got a merciful end compared to what it, he probably deserved. So, and I also feel like Thomas thinks that Kat's underling or, you know, whatever's happening here with Patricia is brought here to do a specific thing that she doesn't want to do. So Thomas is at the point where he's going to literally do the Jedi mind trick and wave his hand and say, this is just like a cat, deal with it, and use a mind effect on her. Okay. I am going to say that she does not notice this effect. She is not sealed in any way against mind magic. So this is just something where you're going to need to roll one success for it to work. Just a, a mind to strong mental compulsion. Take it away. So would you please give me a Narite roll? Uh, versus diff six, it's two successes. How do you think you did that? What do you think that looked like? I think that Thomas literally would have sort of walked between Kat and Lucretia like politely, like, excuse me to step between, but then waved his hand in front of Lucretia and said, it's just like a cat. Like, let's do this. Okay. At that, she kind of shrugs. She starts dragging the body across the ground. It's obvious that she's not able to lift it herself to get it back into the boot of the car. Uh, is anyone going to assist her? Of course. She, yeah. Okay. Yep. So, and, we, and we are definitely going to notice that Terry said the boot of a car instead of the trunk. Uh, I'm very <laughs> tired. So you load this body into the trunk of the car. The thing, the thing closes and Lucretia, Lucretia looks at Kat and goes and does that kind of thing where she just goes, Hey, as her yeah. way of, of saying, be seeing you. Oh yeah. I salute. And with that, the body drives off. I don't know about you, but that feels like a real satisfying emotional end. If that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm going to have difficulty. So congratulations. You've played a mage. Thank you for listening to Mage the Podcast. I have no clever outro. If this happens to be your first episode of Mage the Podcast, we're a podcast that covers Mage the Ascension. For more information, visit us online, magethepodcast.com, or at Mage the Podcast on Twitter. If you really enjoyed it or really didn't, shoot us a message, magethepodcast at gmail.com, or drop by our Discord, discord.me slash magethepodcast. The executive producers that made this special episode possible include Anders S., Andrew Edelstein, Andy, Birdo, Boogers to the Sixth, Brad O. the Blue, Brendan Morrill, Bryce Perry, Chris Sack, Dan Svensson, Dennis Osborne, Entropy underscore Frime, Freddie, Garga Lenoir, Guy Conan Stewart, Ian, Isabella Castillo, Jason Kennedy, Jason W. Biggs, Jay Sunsern, Jeff Wah, Jenna F., John Horton, John Magnuson, Josh Golden, Josh Hillerup, Josh Heath, Carl Halperin, Leslie Weatherstone, Michael Creedle, Michael Parker, Nabero, Neil Patterson, Nikita Klamanoff, Ralph Scheinhammer, Richard Bat Brewster, Ryan Hilton, Ryan Kendi, Sam Tobin, Stephen Carton, William Connolly, William Martin, and W. Starter. In addition, a special thanks to our Oracle supporters, Christopher Phillips and Buck Farmer. Thanks a bunch! In the meantime, Mage Strong. Bye!